our second message today. We hear the, have the privilege of listening to Mr. Barnabas Grayson. His message is entitled, Prelude to Atonement. probably already noticed I'm gray-haired, but that's not it. I seem to be missing something. What? I'm missing my coat. Yeah. I had a senior moment this morning. Sometimes it lasts all day, but uh, I left the coat at the house. But then again, I think I'll try to sew it into it. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, you know, and uh, really pound on the pulpit, roll of that stuff, you know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, bear with me. I hope it uh, doesn't distract too much. So, uh, we all have those senior moments, you know. But then again, some, some of you saw and say, that sleeve might come up here, you know, at the back. Without his coat or jacket. Prelude to Atonement. You know, it's, it's an introductory to the Day of Atonement that, that's coming that David mentioned. The aim of this sermon is to, to prepare us for atonement, especially for fasting and understanding what fasting is all about. And we'll see what the Bible says about fasting. As that time nears, we may not uh, be that excited may sometimes, like I often do, especially uh, when I know the family is maybe a day away, we can sort of have a little bit of anxiety, maybe a little bit of dread toward it, because we're going to be thirsty, we're going to be hungry, and uh, all those feelings that we might experience, you know, the discomfort of it. Now, if you missed the uh, first message, I'll be repeating some of them, some of the same verses. We're on the same page, so this sermon is going to reinforce what you heard earlier, and I might be able to uh, fill in some more stuff to it. But, you know, David and I have been in the church for a long time, and so we kind of feed off of each other, and I suppose the Spirit was working with us. And uh, so in our prayers, you know, we always ask for God's guidance or His Word, and so you'll find some of my uh, scripture references uh, just a lot. In Numbers 29, verse 7, we read this. As David read earlier, it says, And you shall have on the tenth day of this seventh month a holy convocation, and you shall afflict your souls, and shall not do any work therein. So when that Wednesday comes, Remember this, this scripture from uh, Numbers 29. So we know that the holy days are a spiritual journey and that each one reveals various aspects of the plan of salvation that God has laid out and the meanings behind these, these holy days. 
so also in the book of Leviticus, we also see the same phrase saying to afflict your soul, your soul, to deny yourself, to make yourself feel the, uh, the discomfort because we know that it is a day in which we won't be able to, or we're just going to have to abstain from you know, food and drink. So it's not easy, not an easy thing to do. I've been, we've been, my wife and I have been fasting. We fasted first in 1972 or 73, I, I don't remember. But I do remember prior to Passover at that time of year in 72 that I had fasted for uh, three days. I wasn't baptized yet, but I was, had, was going on three days. Now, there was another student at the college where I was attending who was also a believer, and I had told him that I had fasted already, almost three days, and he said, well, uh, you shouldn't have told me, so, because uh, that made me feel like I'm drawing attention to myself, and so, I think, well, I've got to hear that, so I got me a snack, you know, but, you know, it, it, uh, it can be a, a lot of discomfort for a person to fast, and you're not used to it, and, uh, so I wasn't really used to it. It's not an easy thing to do, especially for those who may be ill, for those who may be young, requiring uh, you know uh, a meal or some water on that day. But I remember that Scripture says that Jesus said, "I will have mercy, and not sacrifice." But it's not an easy thing to do. But it's that time of season when we observe the day of fasting. And we're going to be looking at each other on that day and wondering, well, wonder how they're doing. But why do we fast? Why do we have to afflict our souls, our flesh? And what does it do in the long run? Didn't Jesus come to do away with the Old Testament laws and the forms of worship? that his sacrifice has taken care of. In Leviticus chapter 16, it says, verse 29, And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month and the tenth day of the month ye shall afflict your souls, do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or the stranger that sojourns among you. So we see that it's a statute. It's a law. And on that day, verse 30, and on that day the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. When you look at the double meaning that is within this word, you see that for ancient Israel it was a time for redemption, a time for whatever sins you had, they would be forgiven. But it also points to a time in the future when this very same atonement is going to cleanse the world, going to cleanse the nation of their sins. So this atonement is for you. The priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest. 
and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute, you know, a law forever. So it has a yearly observance. For the nation of Israel, it was a day of forgiveness and redemption, the covering of, of sin. And today we have Christ who, is, who has done that for us. He is our high priest at the present time making intercession for us. So here, the early days, the days of atonement, we, we see that the entire nation, along with the foreigners dwelling among them, are to uh, come together, to fast together. And this also points to that time in which the whole world will come together on that Day of Atonement to have their sins forgiven, to be redeemed before the Lord. Now, we know that the feast, call it a feast, the Day of Atonement, but it comes after the Feast of Trumpets. And we have time to think about in the day preceding the Day of Atonement that's coming, what we should be doing. Let's turn over to Leviticus chapter 23. You know, that's, that's the feast chapter. And verses 23 through 26, they give us the calendar of those holy days. And we see that Atonement was a day set aside for national fasting. So now we come, you know, to our day, our time, as we get ready to fast on the Day of, of Atonement. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, you see that fasting is a form of worship in addition to prayer. And it is an ex expected observance. And Jesus said in verse 16, when you fast. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your Father which is in secret. And your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. So there is good that comes out of fasting. We do it before the Lord. Now what we're seeing here, we don't want to call attention to ourselves. But on that day, we're going to look at each other and we're, we're going to know you're probably as hungry and thirsty as I am. So this phrase, when you fast, it implies that it's, that it's something to be done from time to time. When you fast, it doesn't always have to be just on on the Day of Atonement, but at other times in life. And that is to be done in secret before God and not before others. And in doing so, the Father sees, and he will openly reward those who come to him fasting in sincerity and in truth. For it is an act of faith, it is an act of worship before the Lord. So anyone who has been hungry or thirsty knows what it's like to experience the discomfort and the fleshly longing for whatever it is that you desire to be eaten or, or, or drank. Just a longing just to satisfy the stomach. Because as, the time, uh, as that day goes on on Wednesday, you know, you start counting the minutes or maybe the hours when you can have that first bite or, or that first drink. 
Unger's Bible Dictionary, it says that the word fast comes from the Hebrew word sum, S-U-M, which means to cover, as in covering the mouth and not eating. The Greek word for fast is nestula, and that means to abstain, to refrain from eating or drinking, and to resist the temptation for uh, whatever period of time it is to be. Now, according to Bible scholars, I don't remember the source, but just want to repeat their observation, it is reported that in the early days, food was not always obtainable, and so it was compulsory to go without eating sometimes. So it became, after a while, it became a religious duty to be self-disciplined, to abstain and control one's appetite. So everything begins, after a while, to look good. Sounds good. Hamburger sounds good on, on, that, on that day. Right now we know we don't have to worry about it because we can go back to the fellowship hall and uh, get uh, sandwiches and cookies and chips and whatever else is back there. It's, it's there ready for us. But on that day, we have to abstain for quite a while and control our appetite. So everything begins to look good and tasty on, on, on that day. We have to abstain. In a way, we have to figuratively cover our mouth to overcome our fleshly desires to eat and drink. But we see that fasting is common in Christ's day. Now, what is the purpose for fasting? What does it do, and why must we fast? Isn't that the holy day no longer needed? Recall again Leviticus 16, where it says, And this shall be a statute forever unto you. That's the law. This is in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or the stranger that sojourns among you. So it was a national day of fasting, just as it shall be when Christ <coughs> returns. Now, it follows the Feast of Trumpets, which, you know, reminded us of the blowing of trumpets on that day and, and their meaning. They sounded a call to assembly. It sounded a call as a warning. And it sounded a call for them to get up and move to the next place on their journeys. They were offering warning sounds. <coughs> but there is a prophetic message in these trumpets because not only did it reflect on those times in the past, and the blowing of trumpets as a memorial, it points to a time ahead that Christ spoke of, a time of trouble such as never was. But then... It also talks about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth when after everything that's going on, the blowing of the trumpets, the, the alarms of war, everything that is about to destroy man, Christ will return and intervene, and there will be a resurrection. So we know that Christ is going to bring peace. He's going to establish peace and the kingdom of heaven on the earth and the future resurrection of the dead. Now, <coughs> if you look at the uh, the feast, the uh, 
ceremonies that were involved in the feast, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, this sermon's not going to be about all those priestly, priestly duties described for that day. You know, about the, the two goats that were brought before the priest, that one was selected by lot and as the goat for the Lord, and the other for Azazel, that the goat sent away. Except to say that this term where it says scapegoat is a term that was coined by William Tyndale, who was who translated the, the English Bible. But our common usage today, when you think about scapegoat, it is seen as someone who people blame for their misfortunes and even for their faults and sins. But we know that Jesus died on the tree as our substitute. He paid our ransom. And it's hard for me to understand how one would say Jesus is the fault of my sin. But we see in the Day of Atonement also how God is going to judge the world, the nations in the future. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 through 34. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, all people, and shall and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from among from, from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Remember in Colossians uh, 3, or 2, uh, we read about the holy days, the new moons, the Sabbath, and... Uh, the verse says, which are a shadow of things to come. So we can see these holy days, but they point to a time still ahead. A time when it will be even more meaningful when people at that time will look back on all of these holy days and will remember, oh yes, I remember what that holy day is about now. It's been made clear. So that's the what we are learning today is going to be, though, uh, for some to learn in the future. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 26 first. The Lord spoke unto Moses. He said, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, which is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile uh, work on that day, but shall offer an offering made by fire. But then after this, verse 26, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. And one can imagine what uh, they must have asked about this. Well, what is atonement? What? Uh, this kapur, this covering that is going to be made on a day when you're going to be fasting. But it shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls. So that is what
second heard, you shall afflict your soul and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Down to verse 33 and 34. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. So we see from the Feast of Trumpets to the Feast of the Atonement and then to the Feast of Tabernacles that these all fall in the same month. And then there is that eighth day, which is called uh, a holy day also. Verse 39. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. Notice how these these numbers keep on uh, tying one to the other. Seven days. The seventh month. On the first day shall be a Sabbath. And on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath, which is known as the last uh, great day. So it's all pointing, all these uh, feasts that uh, happen in the seventh month are pointing to a completion of the holy day. All are in the seventh month, and you know, from past sermons, you, we know that seven is a number of completeness. This uh, seven Number seven shows up around 700 times in the Bible. And we know that there were seven days of creation, that there are seven high days that we celebrate. We know that there are seven days in the week, and, you know, there's a Sabbath, there's the seventh, seventh day. We also read in the book of Revelation about seven churches, seven spirits, seven seals, seven stars, seven trumpets, and so on. But it means a completeness when we finally get to that point in time in the future that we look forward to uh, all things being complete and Jesus bringing restoration. So it means completeness. In the seventh month, we see the completion of the Holy Day season in this day and age. Leviticus 16 uh, Throughout this chapter, we read that to enter into the Holy of Holies was a, a risky thing, and it mentions the death of a, uh, Nadab and Abihu, who were the two sons of Aaron, and they were told to not enter the Holy of Holies without uh, proper preparation, but they did. So in verse 14, we read about Aaron. And he, Aaron, shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he uh, sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. So when he sprinkles that blood eastward, you know, it's pointing toward the direction in which Jesus is going to reappear in the heavens. And that at that time, you know, he... uh, Christ is going to have blood on his vesture, but he is also going to sprinkle his blood upon the nations in order to bring repentance and redemption to the earth at that time. A lot of things in prophecy we we don't know, but 
there's some things that we can see through a glass darkly, and these holy days that are before us have some deep spiritual meaning meant for us as we live right now and as we journey on into that future. So fasting is important. You know, Jesus fasted, what, 40 days, being tempted by uh, the devil. Matthew 17, verse 14. <coughs> Jesus and his disciples, when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic, and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. Verse 18, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So his disciples, in verse 19, they came to uh, Jesus, and they said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove here to over yonder, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, we know that we have the spirit of power. We have the Holy Spirit of God. But I don't think I, I can even think about, you know, just talking to a tree and looking at it and say, go move over there. You know, it's just not that time yet. But if you have the faith and the power of what Christ and what God has, that day will come in some way. And then he said to them, after saying, nothing shall be impossible to you. And in verse 21, he said, How be it? This kind goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. They go hand in hand, prayer and fasting. So here we see the power of prayer, and we see the power of fasting. Two dynamics that go hand in hand. So fasting like prayer is an act toward God of looking to Him for answers. It's believing that God will see and openly reward our desires. So when we have trials, when we have troubles, when we pray, we diligently seek the eternal and the things we desire, hope for, come to pass. And we see it, though it may not be seen by, by others, but the Lord opens our eyes. Sometimes in our prayers and sometimes even in our fasting when we pray that there is some particular thing that we want to see happen. To others, you know, if it be any secret, we don't, you know, say this is what I've been praying for, this is what I've been fasting for. But when that comes to pass and we see that sign, that dew upon, uh, upon the, uh, the, the coat, that we know God has answered. And only those that know what they prayed for and see that positive thing come to pass, they know that their prayer and their fasting has, uh, God has had compassion on them because of, of their faith. 
but no one knows what may be going through uh, that others have in dealing with some sort of affliction. But when he or receives he or she receives the answer, they rejoice. And you might see them happy. Some people say that. And what are you so happy about? Because an answer to prayer has been uh, made. Remember, remember in Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In this day and age, there are always distractions. There are always people saying, where is your God? Why doesn't he answer? Why all this uh, tragedy and troubles and trials going on in the world? If God was love, why isn't he doing something about it? So in fasting, one seeks a particular favor from God. Maybe for forgiveness, comfort, grief, for rescue, for healing. One of many things that can uh, come upon our lives. We pray for it. Then again, we may not always get what we what we pray for. So, the Day of Atonement was a national day for repentance. Second uh, Samuel twelve. We see where, verse 13, we see where David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away that sin. You shall not die. Howbeit, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme your child also that is born unto you shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was it was very sick. But David was a man after God's own heart. He, was, he knew God was merciful. He knew God was kind. He knew that his loving kindness was forever. And he got down on his knees and he fasted and he prayed. David therefore, verse 16, besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. Lay all night upon the earth, upon the ground, humbling himself. And the elders of the house, of his house arose, and they went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he wouldn't. Neither did he eat bread or food with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? After all that praying, after all being close, humbling himself on the ground, hoping upon the Lord to answer and then to know that it was perhaps to no avail would vex, perhaps vex David even more. 
But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. He knew by their looks, maybe their tone of voice or their presence. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that you have done? You did fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but when the child was dead, you did rise and eat too. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So many who have lost loved ones after much prayer, after much fasting, but uh, they never regained their wellness or their health, we go to them. In Psalms, in the book of Psalms, we also read for King David, where he fasted and prayed in earnest for the ill, and he mourned before the Lord in sackcloth, asking the Lord to make him well. Here in Psalm 35, verse 13, 11 through uh, on down. Verse 11, David was complaining, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourns for his mother. But in my adversity, things that David was suffering, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the objects gathered, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear, uh, tear me and didn't cease. Translation reads verse 15 from the Amplified. But in my stumbling, said David, they rejected, they rejoiced. And gathered together against me, the slanderers whom I did not know gathered against me. They slandered and reviled me without ceasing. But here we see where David made prayer for them early and even fasted for them. Isaiah chapter 58, again, read this, uh, heard this in the first message, verse, verses 3 through 10. We see the words of the prophet passing on the word of of God pertaining to fasting. Behold, in the day of your fast, verse 3, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Now, this this fast was, was the one required on the Day of Atonement, but there's things here that could also apply to the weekly fast. But some did not cease going about their pleasures 
and exploiting their labors on that day. And in verse 4, Behold, ye fast the strife, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. So we don't fast in an, in an attitude of evil or, or insincerity. Verse 5, Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul, is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So as we fast, we come to worship God. We, we need to be aware, you know, why are we fast? What changes does God expect us to make in our life? But the Day of Atonement is known as a solemn feast. James chapter 4, it says in verse 6 that God gives grace to the humble. So, verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be to, uh, to mourning and your joy to heaviness. So let it be turned to mourning. To everything, we know that there is a season, a time to do things. But humble yourselves, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So we don't want to have any vestige of pride or self-righteousness. Around the world, and here in our nation, people are suffering loss of life, property damage, sickness, being victims of crime or, and world war. And it says to be afflicted, to mourn and weep. Who, and for whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Once again in Isaiah 51, in verse 4, go ahead and start with verse, verse 1, and we see the true meaning of this, this day of atonement, where it says, uh, we begin verse 1, cry aloud, Spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the, and the house of Jacob their sin. You know, we look forward to the two witnesses coming or some preacher of righteousness to expose the sins of the nation to get people to turn around. Verse 2, people, as people wonder about, well, what's going on? You know, where is God and or where is righteousness and where is justice? And it says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted them, say they, and ye see not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and ye take no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. We've read those in verses 3 through 5. 
this book. It's not this, the fast, that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. So in that day, we can think about ourselves, we can think about our life, our past, our present, where we're going. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house, when you see the naked, that you cover them, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh? Bible tells us that we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. In this day and age, you can't be too careful because you don't know who is out there that can take advantage of your charity. Verse 9, verse 8, Then shall your light break forth as the morning, and time and your health shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your reward. So all that we do in this present life, how we deal with it, there's that glory that is to come to each one of us. Then shall then you shall call the Lord, call, and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry, and he shall say, Here am I. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, the pointing of the finger, you're pointing to others, but you're not pointing to yourself about all of the wrongs you see in others. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity and darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat, fat your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. That will be, you know, the responsibility, the first uh, objective of our Lord and Savior Jesus when he comes, but it's also going to be handed down to each one of us to understand his ways and his laws. Verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. You know, that day of atonement when go out and do your own pleasure. But you know, when you have the weekly Sabbath, it is a day of rejoicing. It is a feast day. It is a time to really uh, find pleasure and joy in the Sabbath. There are many ways to worship God, whether it's over a meal or, or going someplace, a quiet place, by, say, like some still water, ponds, rivers, places to go. But turn away your foot from the Sabbath on, on, the, on the day of atonement doing your pleasure on my holy day. Then shall you delight in the Lord. I will cause you to ride upon high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm 
just going to reference Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. You know, there's a verse that says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? So, a change in attitude, a change in direction, a strengthen of our faith is the thing that we can uh, look forward to. First Timothy 2, begin verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all kings, and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. First Corinthians, verse 19 and 20. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that is, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So when you have the Holy Spirit of God, you're not your own. You're bought with a price, the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Matthew 26. Christ was betrayed. You remember in verse 14, Judas he went to the, the chief priest and he said, will you, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you, Jesus. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Romans 3, verse 23 is a reminder to us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that in verse 25 whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So this propitiation is an act of God for His great love that motivates Him to give us atonement and reconciliation. Remember in Luke 18 where there was uh, a public, uh, one man who writes self-righteous and said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I have. But the publican standing afar off did not lift up his eyes because he knew he was a sinner. But he smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Conclusion, 1 John 4, verse 9, verse 9, in this was manifest the love of God toward us, this propitiation, this atonement that he, uh, that we are able to see in the day coming and in the future that is to come. This was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And herein is love. Not that we love God, but 
that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I'll conclude with Numbers 29.7 to be to remind us of why we fast at that time. For it says, And ye shall have on the tenth day of this seventh month a holy convocation. These days come and go. And ye shall afflict your souls, and ye shall not do any work therein. 